Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I'm always looking to help the Next Level Soul audience take their soul to the next level. And I've been able to partner with Mind Valley to present you guys with a ton of free master classes between 60 and 90 minutes covering mind, body, soul, relationships, and conscious entrepreneurship. Some of these master classes are taught by spiritual masters, relationship experts, best selling authors, legends in the personal growth and spirituality space, and so much more. So if you want to sign up for any of our free mind, body, and soul masterclasses, just head over to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today on the show, we have near-death experiencer, Dr. Lottie Valentin. Dr. Lottie's near-death experience is a really interesting story because not only was she an atheist and came from a very scientific and mathematical family, after her NDE, she was told to go back to medical school and do another four or five years of schooling late later in life. And uh, she did. And her story is inspirational, to say the least. So let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Dr. Lottie Valentine. How are you doing, Dr. Lottie? Hi, how are you? I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm excited to hear your story. You've had an interesting life so far, uh, to say the (laughs) least. It's been interesting and it still is interesting. Yeah, it's still, it's still going. It's not over yet. I mean, the, the yeah. ride is the ride's still going. The ride is still going without question. So my first question is, before we get to your near-death experiences, what was your life like prior to having your your, your near-death experiences? Plural, well, I- by the way. <laughs> plural, for everyone just, if they didn't miss that, that's a plural that twice. Right. Which, which my next question after that is like, what are you doing? Yeah. You twice. <laughs> just stay home. Right. <laughs> I hear you. So before my near death experiences, I was very scientific. I grew up in Northern Europe in Sweden. My father was a physician, a general practitioner. My mom was a hospital floor administrator. I was surrounded by science, uh, doctors, nurses, all my parents, friends were doctors or nurses. And I had no beliefs in the afterlife. I did not believe in any religion. Um, You die, it's black, that's it, you're gone. And I was very, um, just very scientific. It was hard to convince me of anything that you could not prove because I wanted proof of everything. And um, and then I had my near-death experiences and everything <laughs> literally changed. My whole belief system changed because nothing was or is what I thought how the world, how the world is, right? So every, 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 um, Every thought I had about my own existence and how we exist on earth was was false. It wasn't it wasn't what I learned from my near death experience because 
now I know that there, the soul survives the death of the body. There is no question. Mm -hmm. And otherwise, how could you communicate with the spirit world? So after my near-death experiences, this door sort of opened up and I became clairvoyant, clairaudient, clairsentient. And after I graduated from med school in 2016, I studied mediumship in England at Arthur Findlay College, which is a world-renowned school. If you look into all the big famous mediums, they have all studied there. And what you learn is not only do I did I have my near-death experiences, which I know we'll talk about, and that was my introduction to the soul must survive death. But if soul didn't survive death, then how could we communicate with the spirit world? You know, I do readings for people and evidence comes in and they show me, you know, and it sounds, you think it's absolutely uh, silly. You just keep seeing pineapples or dolphins. And then eventually you say, okay, I see dolphins or pineapples. And they're like, oh my God, yes, the pineapples. That was our wedding. And, you know, everything was pineapples. Pineapples is the thing between me and my, you know, diseased lover in the spirit world. And when you do readings like that, you realize you can't make this up. And it's, you know, evidence after evidence after evidence that comes in like that, that has no meaning to me or wouldn't have any meaning. I couldn't guess the meaning to the sitter, right? But you get all this evidence from the spirit world that they are very alive and well. And sometimes you will get evidence of, you know, they're telling me you're doing this or you're thinking about doing that, or you just moved. Yeah, I just moved last week. Things that nobody would know about but that's what comes through so yes the spirit world is alive and well on the other side for sure <laughs> <laughs> okay so tell me about your first near-death experience what happened yeah so the first one happened in 1992 and i was giving birth to my third child and not only did i give birth in the middle of a 7.4 and a 7.2 earthquake oh, so <laughs> it was very traumatic so literally, it's very interesting, though, because we all have moments in our life when we think, oh, my gosh, this is it. I'm going to die. We're on a bumpy ride on an airplane or we're really close to a, a car accident. And, you know, we're, we're just shaking in fear because it was so close. And we realized this could, this could have been it. And that earthquake, when I, I was in labor contracting three minutes apart, we have a 7.4 earthquake. And at that moment, it was one of the moments in my life when I thought, this is it, I'm going to die. And my two boys, they're six and three and a half. I feel so bad for them. They're going to grow up without their parents. Obviously, my husband was with me in the in the labor unit. My parents were taking care of my boys. And then we survived magically. I mean, the whole hospital shook. It was built on rollers. And it was in the eastern part of Anaheim, California. And that that earthquake was centered in the desert and that's why we didn't have a lot of damage it was actually a stronger earthquake than the than some of the other famous earthquakes that they have had with a lot of damage but it's because it was centered in the desert but that hospital was literally the last structure before the desert so it shook we lost all the power uh, everything was levitating up and down on those sterile trays they have in the in the labor units Anyway, I managed, we survived and then I gave birth, my labor stopped and then my labor restarted, I gave birth and then, the, and then right after that, maybe 10 minutes after she was born, I started hemorrhaging and I was this mountain of blood clots that came out. So they kept me um, another day, extra day in the hospital to make sure that the uterus was shrinking back down and that the bleeding had stopped. 
And also we were, you know, we lost the power in the hospital. So the hospital was running on generators. Basically we had the light of a, a night light in that labor unit. So it was pretty dark, <laughs> but mm -hmm. um, anyway, so then after two days, they sent me home and then I started hemorrhaging again. I hemorrhaged, went to the ER. They didn't do any ultrasounds, no blood work, nothing sent me on my way. The hemorrhaged again, we called the hospital and I yelled to my husband, like, I'm not going back. It's 10 o'clock at night. I stopped bleeding. They're not going to do anything. So then we, um, it was decided that we should see the doctor the next morning. Saw the doctor again, manual inspection, no lab work, nothing. Sent me on my way, started hemorrhaging again, went back to the ER. Jesus. So now I'm having, I've hemorrhaged like three or four times already. And the blood, I mean, it was the size of a, um, like a large man's fist or a baby's head. I mean, the blood clots was were enormous. Jesus. So so again, right? So and every time I go in there, I'm I'm this young, in blonde, thir thirty four year old that lives in Huntington Beach, California. So right. of course, and it's in the middle of the summer. So I look like the picture of health, right? So they take a look. They look at manual inspection. They're like, oh, it's not much bleeding now. Believe me for observation again. Close the door. And as I'm lying in this room in the ER, I start bleeding. And so this is divine inter divine intervention. So a nurse came to check on me. I had no bell to ring. I'm just lying on this table. And she opens the door and she, her jaw just drops. You know, it's like <gasps> that, you know, when she sees how much blood there is on the table. And then I hear the call on the loudspeaker, you know, OBGYN, stat to the ER, OBGYN stat to the er and i'm just thinking well at least i figured out something's wrong with me you know not thinking that something could actually get worse i'm just happy somebody discovered i'm actually bleeding they're not sending me home so this uh maybe 50 year old man comes literally running full speed into my room with a younger physician in tow again to do a manual inspection and as they're examining me again another huge blood clot comes out We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And this doctor, you know, he was in his 50s, he's probably seen everything working the ER. So I tried to sit up and tell him I don't feel too good. And he knows exactly what's going on. So he just pushed me back on the table. They start tipping the table. And it goes backwards. My head goes towards the floor. My feet goes up in towards the ceiling. And the room fills with um, with staff. And as I'm lying there, I just feel like I'm falling. It's like you jumped out of an airplane without a parachute or you're in an elevator just, just plummeting through the shaft. And that's probably, you know, part of that's probably my blood pressure dropping and I'm going into shock. And I got a nurse on my right coating my blood pressure. And I got a nurse on my left trying to get an IV in because back then they didn't place IVs. Now you go to the ER, they place an IV. And sometimes you hear stories. I don't know why they placed an IV. I didn't need an IV. Well, if something goes south, they now have access to your vein. And that's why they place an IV so that they don't end up in the pickle that I ended up in. So when you go into shock and, and you start uh, you know, collapsing, your veins collapse and it's really hard to get access to the veins. Now they're having a hard time getting any kind of medication in. So that's why you, when you go to the ER, they many times just place an IV and it's just, you know, body water that you're getting or saline. And so the nurse on my right is quoting my blood pressure. And at one point she yells out 50 over 15, hurry. 
And so that you're now I'm below where you support the heart rate. And I'm still just feel like I'm falling. But it was very shortly after she yells that out, that I realized that I'm dying. And this experience is so different from the one I had when I gave birth, when I thought I was going to die. Oh my gosh, I think, you know, we could die. My poor boys are at home, right? And I'm thinking it could happen. This time I knew I was dying. So it was a complete awareness. I am dying. I had no belief system in religion, afterlife, soul survival, nothing. So my only hope is at this point to pray to God, who I did not believe in. <laughs> You'd heard right? rumors. You'd heard right? rumors. Guys, it's better than nothing. No, no one finds <laughs> Jesus when everything is good. <laughs> right? So true. So true. And so here I am. And I'm still not religious. I can't be religious because right, it's all of about the spirit world. Of course, of course. But anyway, so here I am. And I'm like, okay, that's my only hope at this point. So I pray to God to save my life. And I, I plead with him and I say, I have three young children under the age of six, a six-year-old, three and a half-year-old and a newborn, they need a mother. And it was shortly after that, I just got sucked out of my body. And it's, it happens so quickly. So you're inside your body and then you're outside your body. And you don't even know how that transition happens because it's just, it's such a split second. It's faster than a, your brain can really comprehend because you're there and then you're not there. It's just, you take a step outside, but that step is in a split, split second. And so all of a sudden I find myself hovering above my body. So I'm like three or four feet out. That's what it feels like. But when I'm outside my body, the first thought I have is how can I be outside my body and still be me? How does this work? Mm -hmm. This is not supposed to happen, right? So you have complete your thought process is, is still there. It's your, it's as if your brain or consciousness sits in the ether outside and you're just, the brain is sort of just accessing the information in the field and then process it like a little computer. So you're completely there. You know who you are. Everything is you, the way you think of yourself. It's just that you're outside your body. Your body's down there, but you're still you outside your body. Mm -hmm. So I know I belong to the body. And I know I'm attached somehow. And people ask me, did you see a silver cord? And some people see things like that. No, no silver cord. I just knew I belonged to the body. But being outside the body, there is this understanding of, I knew that there was no time. Time did not exist in this state. So there was no, um, no difference. Like here on earth, everything is linear. We move forward in time. Is it, you know, we have the present and going forward in the past. But when I was outside my body, there was no difference between that. And I had access to past, present and future information all at the same time. There was no time. So, and then of course the unconditional love and peace and all that you feel, it's just, you don't feel, um, you don't have any feelings. There's no pain. There's nothing. It's just this, oh, this is lovely. This, this environment. Right. And then I got sucked back in. So during that first near-death experience, I never left the ER, which is very different from my second near-death experience where I ended up in the spirit world. So do you have any questions about the second no, one? I'm, do you want me to go straight into the second I, one? I mean, I think, look, I'm, I've, I've done a few of these. So um, I, I'm aware that you're, so far, it's very interesting. So, and I've heard this before that, that in, with other people who have multiple, multiple near-death experiences that they, so you basically were staying, you were in the room 
-hmm. nothing else happened. And then you were brought back into your body afterwards, but you were out of the body. So it was an out of body experience slash near death experience at this point. Mm -hmm. So just let's go right into the second one. And please, I hope there's no more after that. I can't take it. Yeah. That's what I tell the spirit world. Like, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. I just don't want to do that again. Send a fax, an email, something, pigeon, you know, messenger, pigeon messenger, whatever. (laughs) Just please stop. Text me or something. Exactly. So, but the interesting part was after that first near death experience, that next very next day in the hospital room, I'm lying in the bed and, you know, my head is pounding and my hands and feet are ice cold because I've lost so much blood. And I, I know that my sister-in-law is in the corner of the ceiling, in the left corner of the ceiling. And I can hear her. And she says, Every, you're, everything's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. I'm still trying to process what happened the day before. Because remember, I had no beliefs in any afterlife, survival, soul survival, nothing like that. And now I can hear my sister-in-law who passed away 10 days ago, 10 days earlier. Oh, my God. And I'm thinking, if I tell anyone, they're going to lock me up in the mental ward. They're going to think I'm hallucinating. They're going to, you know, I'm never going to see my kids again. So I was petrified of sharing that, not what, you know, what had happened to me. And it was my mother-in-law who told me, oh, when I told my mother-in-law, she said, oh, you have what's called, you had an experience that's called a near-death experience. And she gave me Raymond Moody's book, uh, Life After Life. Sure. So that's how that journey started. So then like, I was really sick. Anyway, so I had this bone marrow suppression. I had bruises everywhere and, um, I get poor immune system. I kept getting pneumonia and that took a good six years to come out of that. But second year into that bone marrow suppression, I had another near death experience and I had, and what you call it doesn't matter to me because you can, you could call that a spiritually transformative experience, or you could call it a near death experience. Now I was really sick. So I call it a near death experience because it makes the most sense because I was really I was way more sick than um, I understood because I didn't, I wasn't a doctor yet. Now looking back, please, everyone who has these symptoms, please go to the doctor. Um, I think it was just, I wasn't supposed to die basically. So I, I survived it all, but now I understand how sick I was. So this second experience happened during this crisis uh, of healing. And I never felt, it was as if my soul was always trying to leave. And my soul was always popping out of my body. And I would just hold on to that soul. I'm like, we're not leaving. We got, we got to put the shoes on these kids. They're going outside to play, right? And just holding on to, to uh, the soul. And sometimes late at night, I would wake up and take my head off the pillow, pull my legs up, get more blood in my head. And that was just the, the way I existed. I couldn't stand up to cook for my children. I had to sit on a stool or I would pass out. Um, so... That was just the, the suppression of the red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets. So I had like too little blood in my body, basically. So I was constantly leaving. Or was it a merging problem when my soul came back in and it didn't didn't get merged properly? Right? <laughs> <laughs> like that didn't fit back in the slot all the way. I don't know. Someday I think we'll find the answer because now so many people are having these experiences because we're reviving so many people. So probably in you know another 20, 30 years, we'll have a better explanation for these kind of um these different feelings that we anomalies sure yeah yeah, yeah. anomalies so anyway so the second year death experience is very very different so i wake up in the middle of the night again my head is pounding i take my head off the pillow and you know don't pass out don't leave soul we have to stay do the whole thing 
but it's just the same thing that happened the first time. So my soul is inside my body, but the next second it's outside. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And, but this was so different because I had this sensation of just tumbling through darkness, almost like Star Wars. You're in a spaceship traveling through outer space. And it was just this tumbling through space in darkness. But then I arrive at this, I call it the mid station or the bouncing station. I call it the bouncing station because they sent me back. I've heard stories where people got a choice. Do you want to stay or do you want to go back? There was no choice. I was sent back. So I get to this mid station and I call it the mid station because I was aware that there were levels above me, but there was also levels below me. As if you go into a skyscraper and you and there's a hundred floors and you push the button for the 50th floor, you know that there's floors above you and you know there's floors below you, right? But so that was the sensation was that I was on the on on this kind of 50th floor and there were more levels to go up or more levels below me. But as I get to this place, I don't have a body. I'm just in spirit form, but I'm still moving or rotating my spirit or that's at least how it feels. And I hear this, the most beautiful music. You cannot make this music on the earth plane. We had a Roland synthesizer. I sat for days at this synthesizer, which had over 200 something sounds, trying to find one sound that sounded like the music I had heard. There was no sound and I'm trained in piano. I can play the guitar, you know, uh, go to live orchestra. There is nothing that sounds like what I heard because it's more beautiful than the most beautiful music you've ever heard on the earth plane. So I'm wondering where this music is coming from. So I look to the right and I always love what people see. I see a log cabin. So I see this log cabin and I open the door and think the music is coming from in there, but there's nothing in there. It's just empty. So then I rotate my spirit form to the other side and I see another log cabin, a mirror image of my log cabin to the right. I open the door, but there it's empty. So, but I, now I'm like puzzled. Where's the music coming from? But as I'm now standing well, my spirit form, there is this uh, growing white light, almost like if you think of a car dealership, those really strong spotlights, mm -hmm. but turn that into that strength of the light, but turn it into like a fog. So you're completely Im immersed in this white, bright light. And so I'm rotating around and, and being um, kind of emerged into that light. But in the light, there is an outline of angels. So I see the outline, not like the features of an angel, but the outlines of angels in the white light. And the music is coming from the angels. But I don't believe in angels. I'm still trying to process my near-death experience from two years ago and keep saying, it's got to be something the brain does, or it's got to be this you know, oxygen deprivation or something. I'm still trying to process it scientifically. So so I see this white light, I see the angels in the light, but that light, that light, that un is just pure, unconditional love. But there is also a knowledge that we come from that light. We are that light. We carry that light within us and we return to that light at death. 
that light is source, that light, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it God, you can call it source, you can call it whatever religion you believe in, but that we come from that and we are made from that love. And that, that pure love is what we carry within us, but that also is also what we have forgotten, right? Living our daily lives. But we are part of this greater divine um, network and we're all, you know, everything is connected. So then I, uh, I turn around and I see two, uh, two spirit guides and the one on my right communicates with the other spirit guide. And he says, what is she doing here? She can't be here. She has to go back. And I'm, I'm like, no, 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 wait a second. How can this be? How can I be outside my body and still be me? I was just, you know, here I'm doing this for the second time. And the spirit guide on my left says, well, if I told you, you wouldn't remember. And I've heard other people say that too, that they that there's some control mechanism of what they make you remember or that what they want you to remember. But then it's like I'm standing on the moon and I'm looking down. It's just, it's almost like a movie screen just appears in front of it because it's just images that show up. But it's, I'm seeing the earth from outer space, like I'm standing on the moon, but around the earth is this um, kind of uh, diamond shaped, silvery, glittery, what I call the fishnet. Because I grew up in Sweden, which is in Northern Europe, and I would row the boat for my grandmother as she laid fishnets in the ocean. So for to catch fish for the family to eat. And when she took those fishnets out of the ocean in the early morning sun, that the water droplets on that fishnet would glitter in the sunlight. So this is in 1994. And so we don't have Google, we can't Google the grid around the earth or anything. And so that's my best interpretation was it looks like a fishnet around the earth. And he said, everything on earth is connected to each other, but everything on earth is connected up to this grid. And with that message, I got sent back. And so this was in 1994. So this has been 28 years now of me working on that. And the, every year, it, there is something new that comes into my life that makes me understand how divinely interconnected we are to each other and to the earth itself. And so that experience is what really activated my life path. And then, of course, everything that comes after that, the clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, and we can talk about that too. Yeah. So I have a, I have a handful of questions. Uh, so there wasn't a life review. There wasn't nope. uh, no life review, no relatives or council of elders, nope. none of that stuff. But you had nope. you had a couple of spirit guides. Are like, what is she doing here? So there's a clerical error. <laughs> <laughs> like someone screwed up. She's not supposed to be here. <laughs> yes. Is the vibe I got. <laughs> So true, right? Like, what's she doing like, here? She, she, she got to get back. She, she's she, not, don't let her stay too long. She's not know? due for a while. What is she doing here? No, 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 no. We can't have this. I'm going to get in trouble. Then my boss is going to get on me. Right. Like, that's the <laughs> kind of, that's a, when you said that, you're like, she's not supposed yeah. to be here. That's all I thought was, did you ever see that movie, um, Defending Your Life with um, Albert Brooks and Meryl Streep, which is about the afterlife? Okay, I can maybe. Okay, if you haven't, you have okay. to go rent it or watch it tonight. Right. It is brilliant, but it was very, very bureaucratic. Uh, there's attorneys, you have to defend your life. If not, you're sent back yes. in reincarnation, if not, or you get to move on. And there's buildings and buses, and it's a, it's, it's, right. a, it's brilliant. So, when you said that, <laughs> that was the first thing that popped into my head. Okay, so 
during so when during this process you're still you're having a spiritual awakening obviously through this process mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. feel the love you feel the oneness with everything is your analytical mind finally go okay um i give up <laughs> i there's something else going on here i don't understand i'll spend the rest of my life trying to figure it out but what i thought when did that that transition in your in your mind happen days after you got back while we, you were there what when did that happen it took a long time i am so scientific <laughs> that i kept thinking no there must be some scientific explanation for this and you Even know, just, after that, you still yeah. were fighting it. Really, I was still fighting it. And, you know, I understood that there was something greater, but I was still not convinced. But then, so what happened over the next 10 years, right? So literally the clairvoyant and clairaudience started that first day after my first NDE, but it was just getting more and more. So, you know, after 12 years of this, I could not say, okay, this is how it is. We are obviously spiritual creatures. We have connection with the spirit world. But I would start to see things before they happened. I would know things about people that were sick. I would know uh, families, um, relatives that were going to pass away. Relatives started coming in after they passed away, before anyone told me that they had passed away. And so I started having all these um, clairvoyant, clairaudient, and clairsentient experiences. And in the beginning, I thought, oh, it's just a coincidence. It's just a coincidence. It can't be. And after you know a year or two of this, I started writing it down. Okay, I'm going to write it down to make sure I don't think it's a deja vu when something like this happens. Maybe my mind just made it up and I thought I knew that this was going to happen, but that's not really the truth, right? Mm -hmm. So I would write it down or I would tell my kids about something. Uh, and so it became very apparent that we are very spiritual creatures. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And we have the capacity to connect with the spirit world. Anybody can connect with the spirit world. You know, some people do it as, you know, for work. Like I, I work with it now. Um, but everybody can, everybody has that ability because we are spiritual creatures, just like everybody has intuition, but we don't develop it. We don't, we don't follow that thread when we say, oh, I felt like, uh, I should take this road home because I feel like it's going to be an accident on the other one. And then there is an accident on the other road. But then you say, oh, it was just, you know, this epiphany I had, or it was, you don't think that it's coming from somewhere else. You just, uh, you know, think that it's a coincidence and you were just lucky that day and we don't keep track of them. So we just keep doing this to ourselves over and over. But when you start writing things down or set, telling people and keeping track of all these messages that you actually are receiving, then it becomes apparent that there is a, a greater force um, in play that, or right. your spirit guides that are warning you of different things that are kind of looking after you and uh, making sure you're not going to die too young, right? <laughs> and we can't have these clerical errors in, in, in on the other side. It's just not it's not good. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be too busy if have, there's too many errors. No. I mean, if these people are like, oh, gosh, she's <laughs> here. No. Oh, man. I just love that. You've yeah. said clear. Uh, you've said clairvoyant, which I know what clairvoyant means, but mm -hmm. clairaudient and clairsentient. I've never I've heard those other two words. Can you explain okay. what they are? Yeah. So clairaudient is when you hear the spirit world. So when I heard my sister-in-law, 
you know, I, I was clairaudient. And then uh, my uncle came in the year in between the two near death experience, my uncle came and said he had passed to the other side and, you know, wanted to let me know. And also, I think just to, to, uh, to give me a little uh, training to listen to the spirit world, you know, they, once the spirit world knows that you can connect with them or you're hearing them, you're going to get more and more messages. So he stopped by um, and said he had passed on. And I, I thought my mom was going to call me the next day from Sweden and say, you know, my brother just passed away. She didn't call. And then two days went by, she didn't call. Finally, the third day she calls and she says, Hey, you know, how's things going? How are the kids? Blah, blah, blah. And then finally she said, Oh, I have something sad to share with you. And I said, yes, your brother, you know, passed away three days ago. And he, she was just dead silent. And she said, how did you know? And I said, because he was here that night that he passed. So that's kind of how it started unfolding. But then as time went by, it got more and more um, obvious. So I would wake up. I think my kids are about, let's see. Uh, I think my daughter, so this is about nine years, nine or 10 years after the first near-death experience. Uh, so my two youngest kids were about 10 and 12. And I woke up and I had, I saw three images. And the first image was a black scratch across the van door, the passenger where the kids get in and out typically. The second uh, image was two of my kids were in the car and my middle son was in the front. My daughter was in the back seat. And then the third image, I'm leaving a note on the windshield of a black sedan car. And I'm telling my kids about this. Okay, so I, I think we're going to be in an accident. You guys are in the car. Where could this accident happen? Because it's on the right-hand side. And we lived in East Bay, San Francisco at the time. So all the streets are pretty much one way. I drove my kids to the city every day because they went to school in the city. And we figured out this one intersection. After you come off the Bay Bridge, you go down to the surface streets, you're going to jog left at that light, there's oncoming traffic. So we figured that is the only intersection out of this whole drive that the right-hand side of the car could possibly be hit. And I'm thinking, well, why am I leaving a note on the windshield of a black sedan car? Where is that driver? And if they got hurt, why didn't I see police or ambulance? Why would I leave a note? It doesn't make sense. So 10 days, we get to this intersection. My kids' noses are pressed up against the window. Mom, the coast is clear. You can go. <laughs> so for 10 days, we did this. No accident. We're, cause we're all nervous. Like, what is this? Is this going to happen? But by now, we know that a lot of things have happened that, you know, I have gotten warned about. So we're kind of nervous about it. So then we go to the bookstore in Walnut Creek, East Bay, which is the area where we lived. And as I come out of this bookstore, I'm trying to get onto this very narrow street and there's a big UPS truck offloading boxes. There's cars trying to get into the garage and I'm trying to get out. So I'm squeezing my van out onto this tiny street. And as I turn right onto the street, my right hand side of the car scrapes the car that is parked there, which is a black sedan car. So as we take that turn, my car scrapes that car. I'm like, oh my God, this is it. So I get out of the car and I go mm. look at the side. There is the exact scratch that I had described to my kids. And I just lose it. I start laughing so hard. And I'm just looking up at the sky, like, you know, laughing. And all the people are just staring at me. This woman is crazy. She just hit that car and she's just laughing, right? 
but it was such a relief that nobody was hurt. And then, of course, I'm leaving the note on the windshield of the black sedan car because it was parked. It didn't have a driver. So all these different things were happening for a period, you know, for 12 years, all these different events would happen. And so they're verifiable events, right? So I couldn't have made it up because I had told my kids they were aware, we were looking out. And it was the same thing with all the other experiences. And so after 12 years, you know, it took me 12 years. I know some some people could learn this in two years. It took me 12 because I'm so scientific and it's just proof. No, I need more proof. I need more proof until I actually believed, okay, there is a spirit world. There are spirit guides. When we die, we go to the other side and we're still there. Okay, so I have to ask you, as you're going through these transitions, you're starting to tell people these things. Um, did you have an issue with people around you, your family, your friends, colleagues about this new transition? And we're going to get to the part where you go to medical school, which is another mm -hmm. journey to say the least. When you come out publicly about this, how did the world around you, how did you deal with that psychologically? You know, it was really, really hard um, in the beginning because of course, being the scientific person that I was, I had also surrounded me myself with, with like-minded people because that's right. what we do. We like to get that confirmation that we're right. <laughs> Those and people think like I do, right? The bubble, the I bubble. Surrounded, yeah, surrounded by people that were scientific like me that if somebody had told me before my near-death experience that, that this was the experience they had had, I would have gone home and kind of laughed and said, oh my gosh, I don't know about the, they're, they're losing their mind. They think that they left our body. It's, it's impossible, right? That, because that's who I was. That's who I was. And that came from that. So it was really hard because nobody, I really didn't have anybody to confide in except for my mother-in-law. And it's, so talk about a uh, divine uh, guidance, right? So I married in to get that mother-in-law that was going to help me with my near-death experience. And <laughs> she would right. give me books about near-death experience. And she's the one that really brought me along and made me understand that, no, the spirit, this your soul does survive. But uh, my own father, for example, who was a general practitioner, he, you know, I told him the story and he's, he just laughed. And he says, it can't be, it just can't be. And, you know, it's got to be the brain or, you know, now we know from research that we have done that it's not in lack of oxygen. It is not, we cannot explain it. And there's a lot of research uh, that is being done around the, uh, around the world. And we can't quite explain, you know, what it is that happens, but being a medium, you know, it's, it's very different because I, I know that the soul does survive. So I don't have that problem anymore, but during those uh, those first 12 years was very hard because, you know, of course, my husband didn't wasn't even though his mom was a believer, his dad would not be the, the his mom and dad were quite different. Um, and so he had a hard time believing it. You know, he would say, of course, I believe what you're saying. But at the same time, it scared him. It scared him um, that all my watches would stop. So my watches would stop. The first watch stopped. You know, right after I had my near-death experience and it took me a good eight months before I could go to the store and get another one and I wore it for maybe five to seven days and it stopped brought it back at another watch wore it for five to seven days it stopped brought it back so after three watches my friend looked at me and she says you know it's not the watch it's you and by the time my daughter was about three I had 16 or 17 watches in my drawer 
because sometimes the, and I could only buy a watch that had a second hand because it was the only way I could tell if it was working. So if somebody asked me what time is it, I would, I would look at my watch and I would wait a couple of seconds. Okay. The second hand is moving. It is the time is. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And many times it would just stop and I would put it in the drawer, but after it sat in the drawer for a while, sometimes the, some of the watches would start ticking again. So I could rotate and say, well, this one is ticking today, so I'll wear this one. <laughs> and then- so you, so your husband was married to a witch, essentially, is what he's thinking. He's like, oh my God, yeah, I've married- Pretty much. I've married my, I've married to a witch. What I love her, yeah. but it's, be, it's bewitched. I, I basically, she's been- <laughs> He's in, right. the, I mean, he's in an like episode a- of Bewitched. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I knew. I think it was quite scary for him, and I, I could- I understood, I could feel his fear and I could see his fear. So it was difficult for me to share any um, anything that I was experiencing because I knew it would just scare him more because it was the fact that my watches were stopping was scary enough for him, right? right and right. now we know that people who have had near-death experiences, this is just a common after effect. It's just something that happens. You can go to you know, uh, IONS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. They have whole lists of the physiological and psychological after effects of people that have had an experience like this and, you know, stopping watches and having electrical interference of some sort is very common. So, but, you know, back then we were still collecting data and, you know, now we, there's, there's so much data from around the world of the after effects. They really should be handing these things out to anybody who has a heart attack right? Or get revived in the ER, but we haven't gotten that far yet. So these poor people that are still being revived today, as we're doing this interview, they're going to, you know, many of them are going to go through the same thing I went through. It's going to take them years to, to figure it out and find their way and, and be able to share it. And it wasn't until, uh, really until I went to medical school that I became comfortable with it and said, okay, this is, I have to tell people about my own experience because there's so many people that we are reviving and we have to help all these people and we have to help the world understand that, you know, there's more to our life than we think it is when you walk sure. around in this very scientific mold. So I have to ask you, um, because you start, you started medical school at 54 years, which, which people do. No, they don't. Uh, <laughs> not at all. Nobody starts medical school unless you're Patch Adams. You don't start. <laughs> that late in life your movie might be coming out soon i'm not sure but um, but generally so what got you to go to medical school at the age of 54 and then then i have a follow-up question when you're in medical school for i have a lot of doctors in my family Mm -hmm. so uh i love having conversations with them about this kind of stuff because it just freaks them the hell out (laughs) how are you making a living this this is charlatanism like what are you doing <laughs> i'm like look i had this doctor on yeah. this doctor i had a quantum physicist on i had a neuroscientist mm-hmm. on and they're just like they just it just it just it doesn't compute i'm sure you can yeah. relate oh i can relate so mm-hmm. when you're in medical school you're starting to come out with this stuff i'm sure that went over well so step one how did you get into it step two when you start talking about this stuff were you still in medical school and how did they react so yeah <laughs> So I got into it because, so I'm 12 years out of my first near-death experience. So now it's 2004 and my kids are, you know, teenagers now. So I'm thinking, well, and I finally got to the point where I could say I'm healed because the first six years I had that bone marrow suppression and then I could start functioning again. So the second six years, but during those second six years, there were times when 
I thought, well, maybe I'll just never feel normal again. Maybe I'm just always going to be, you know, too tired or I'm just not going to get be who I was because that was, you know, 10, 12 years ago now. And for some reason that summer, 20, uh, 2004, it was like you open a new page in the book. It was, that's it. I'm, I'm healed. And I remember calling my friend saying, I did it. I healed. I'm healed. I'm moving on with life. And I wanted to return to um, the workforce, but I knew at this point, after all these experiences and becoming clairvoyant, clairaudient, and clairsentient, clairsentient is when you feel things in your body. Um, I knew I had to go back and work in the he- and as, as some form of a healer. So I'm looking on the internet and I find this school and it says naturopathic medicine. And then I realized it's a real medical school. And I'm thinking, let me find some online degree. You know, I could be like a life coach kind of thing or something, right? That's not too hard. I can still do it. The kids are kind of in and out. Everybody doesn't have a driver's license yet. And I realized it's a real medical school. And I'm like, I can't do that. I'm in my 40s now. Even if I do all the prereqs, I don't have any of the prereqs. I was a business computer science major as an undergraduate. I had no science classes. So even if I did all that, there's no guarantee that somebody's going to accept somebody in my age group into medical school. So I kind of discouraged, closed the computer. And as I'm walking to the towards the kitchen uh, to start prepping dinner, uh, a spirit guide drops in. And I can, at this point, I've, I'm recognizing the energy of the spirit guides. I know it's a spirit guide. I can't yet see things. Uh, only I can only hear in the beginning. And the spirit guide set has messages for me. And it says, you have to go to medical school and become a naturopathic physician. But there was also the interesting part that there was also an understanding with that you were, I wasn't to work as a physician all the time. I was to do other things. And I was, and the second message was, I was to uh, integrate East and West. And at that time I said, well, East is kind of old medicine. West is new medicine. Naturopathic medicine is kind of a combination of old and new medicine because it's Chinese medicine and pharmaceutical medicine. So it's kind of a combination of all the different kinds of medicine. And then the third message was that I have to bring messages and healing to the people. I'm like, what do you mean messages and healing to the people? What are you talking about? And the fourth message was that I had to write two books. Uh, No, wait, three. And I was like, what do you mean I'm to write a book? What am I supposed to write about? I don't know. I've never thought of myself as an author. English is my second language. I moved to the States when I was 21. So, you know, that's still a struggle. Sometimes finding the correct word to express yourself. You know, what am I supposed to write about? And the message I got back was, when the time is right, we will tell you. For now, just go be a doctor. Get that get that degree. So literally within a week or two, I was already enrolled in the community college starting my prereqs. Because the message at this point, I've heard messages for 12 years. And I knew that not once was the spirit world wrong. Because they could tell me somebody's dying. They could tell me somebody's sick. We're going to be in an accident. Every single message for 12 years had been true. And there was nothing I could do to change the outcome. Even if it's, you know, this person, you you know, your father is going to die. It didn't matter. I could not change the outcome. It's almost like we have a stamp on our forehead. This is what's already been decided. And we're just letting you know. So I went to, uh, started all my prereqs. And I had to start from the beginning because I did not even have advanced biology from high school because I went to high school in Sweden. So I had, I had no science since like eighth grade. 
So I had to start with advanced placement, biology, chemistry, before I could even get into the freshman classes to get right, into right, the pre-reg right. classes. So I had to really start from the beginning. Jeez. So anyway, I did all that. And then I applied to uh, two medical schools. Uh, there's only about five naturopathic medical schools. And I wanted to go to the one, either the one in Seattle or the one here in the Phoenix area. And I applied to the, only those two because I said, I, those are the ones I want to go to. And I got accepted at both. And then I started medical school here in the Phoenix area. Um, now it's called Sonoran, Uni Sonoran University. Back then it was called Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine. And I started that in 2012 and I was 54 when I started med school, but luckily I blended well with the 40 year olds. So nobody, I don't think anybody knew how old I was <laughs> until they heard the age of my kids. They're like, wait, were you 14 when you had kids? Right? <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> how does that work? The math is not right. So, you know, starting med school, um, what was your second question about the- So when you start coming out about- <clears throat> Oh your yeah, abilities but... and your mm -hmm. and your experiences with your colleagues publicly. How'd that mm -hmm. work out? Yeah, so it wasn't until my third year in med school, 2015, when I went to um, actually my first IONS conference, International Association of Near Death Studies, and it happened to be on a week when we had a break. You know, you go you go to school uh, year round, so you know I was just lucky. So I went to that conference and Suzanne Giesman was there, who is a very famous oh, medium. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. She's a Navy she's commander the of the United States. Right? Friend of, okay. friend of the show. Friend of the show, right? of course. So she's standing up there and she's putting up an image of Arthur Findlay College. This is where I trained in England. This, And right away, I get a message. You have to go there. And I'm arguing with the spirit world. I can't go there. I'm still in third year in med school. I haven't even graduated yet. And the message is just, you have to go there. So I'm like, okay, okay, well, let me graduate first. And so it was kind of fascinating. Eben Alexander was there. Mm -hmm. um, and I was so excited about uh, both Eben and Suzanne Giesman, which is really what drove me to go to this conference because I felt these people have so much credibility from their own background and bringing credibility to these near-death experiences and for Suzanne Giesman to mediumship and that the soul does survive. So, you know, who could have, it couldn't have been a better scenario than for Eben Alexander to have a near-death experience, considering he was a brain surgeon. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Or for Suzanne Giesman to leave that work as a Navy commander of the United States. I mean, she's not going to tell people that you can communicate with the spirit world. It's not like, Oh, oh I've had right? this, I had this conversation. She said, I'm like, really, how did that work out with the military? She's like, well, you know, it was interesting. Uh, that she, I always point, I, anytime anyone asks me, I point to her and Eben because mm -hmm. they, they are, they're not just like a couple of, you know, kids on in Malibu or on Venice yeah. beach going, you know what? I think I talked to, uh, to the other side. Uh, you know, exactly. they've done, you know, like they're, they're not like, you know, yeah. they're not, you know, woo woo kind of people. They yeah. come from a very grounded, mm -hmm. well-established background and to throw mm -hmm. all of that away mm -hmm. to go down the lucrative road of being a medium yes. and, and a near death experiencer. Yeah. It's, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I'm sure Eben yeah. was doing, making more money as a brain surgeon right? than right. he was than right than selling a few books. That's right. what I'm thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And it's but it was so exciting because 
you know that these people bring credibility to the field. And it wasn't until I attended that conference and saw them speak so openly about it that all of a sudden I said, oh my gosh, I, you know, I'm going to be a physician. I have to share my journey with people because so many people have questions about mediumship, soul survival, uh, in near-death experiences. And we have to take that step to even physicians, right? Most physicians think, I'm sure there are physicians out there that think I'm absolutely a nutcake. You know, this woman thinks she's a medium or can communicate with the spirit world. And, you know, she's doing all these things, but they haven't had that experience yet. So they are in the boat I was before my experiences. And that's what I would have said. Honestly, I would have thought that those people were crazy. Oh, they're nuts. Just, Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I, I talk to I talk to mediums all the time. I go, you know what you do is crazy, right? <laughs> you know, it sounds insane what you're talking about. Like I've had channels on mediums on psychics on, and I always call it out and they all go, yes, I know. I didn't ask for this. It just showed up. Yes. What am I supposed to do? But I agree with you on the outside. It looks insane. <laughs> right. Exactly. I hear you. And I always say, you know, why did I have that second experience? Because it was a course correction. First of all, I had a hard time understanding or putting the first experience. I kept thinking, you know, yeah. it's just my brain. It didn't really happen, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And reason it away. So I had to have that second experience to understand up. that this is my life work. And then exactly, you don't choose this. It's it's you're driven by your, your own passion and understanding that there is something that is so much greater than than just us and that right. we are part of the earth. You know, we think of living on the earth, but we are part of the earth. We are like a cell in the body. We are a cell to the earth, you know, mm -hmm. and we are all connected, all human, all all animals, all plants. We're all everything is connected to each other and we all affect the outcome of the other without without question i mean your journey has been remarkable and i have to ask you because you're a medium and you two talk to the other side i always ask do you see dead people do they just like show up like will be like Whoopi goldberg <laughs> and the ghost do they just show up and they take over like what is the process of your mediumship because some people let them come in and take over other people just hear them other mm -hmm. people see them in the corner and you see them talking what mm -hmm. is your process uh, I say when I started opening up that I would see spirits a lot and they were just common. I, I got to ask, well, I mean, seriously, <laughs> seriously, I got to ask real quick. How's that feel? Like, I mean, you're just walking around the house yeah. and then you're like, who's this yeah, dude? Who <laughs> who's this dude in the corner? Who's like, I need yeah. to tell you something. <laughs> right. And you, you don't know who they are. And it's just, you see these um, like, you know, you turn your head and you're, it's like, it's oh, a flash of a second. And, but then you learn to turn it off. And so, but you know, I've gone through training now. So, you know, when you tell your teachers, I can't, uh, what is this? And you just have to say, okay, I'm not open for, I'm not open for business right now. Okay. Come back tomorrow when I'm ready to talk to you. And so it, it calms down. You kind of let them know, I'm not going to talk to you right now, but the communication with the spirit world is just through your mind is telepathic. They hear your thoughts, whether you like it or not. So all the bad thoughts you had about your, you know, mom or dad and spirit world that, you know, why were you so mean to me as a child? They know that. And when you have a reading, they might come in and say, you know, I'm really sorry about how mean I was, or I was not a very good parent. And I, I did my best, but um, I understand that, you know, I wasn't the best. And sometimes they, they come in and, and ask for forgiveness. But um, the way, like I see most of, most of the things I see. So when I do a reading for someone, when I work as a medium, um, 
the spirit world comes in typically on my left. So I think everybody has their, I kind of feel like it's, that's where, that's where my reception is really good. So if the spirit world comes into about a foot diagonally to the left in front of me, I'm going to hear them the best. And sometimes you have, have to ask them, no, move a little bit closer. Okay. Now I can hear you or see you. And then many times I'll get a glimpse. Um, and sometimes it can be very accurate. Now they always warn you at when you study mediumship, don't describe what you see because sometimes the description you see might be for you to think of somebody that you know and then connect. Oh, they're kind of like my uncle. You know what I'm saying? So sometimes the image could be off, but many times I found that the image is uh, absolutely spot on, but that may be because my seeing images is, is the way I communicate. And so... Um, Sometimes it will be, I'll describe the person and they'll say, I have a picture of my father in the other room and that is exactly what he's wearing, right? It'll be exactly spot on. So it's it's just fascinating. But so in the beginning, mostly I just heard things. All the messages were uh, auditory. I would just hear the spirit world. And then, um, so when I do a reading now, I mostly see images. They'll show me an image and I'll say, you know, like the pineapples or, you know, I see dolphins jumping out of the sea. Does that make any sense to you? Oh, yes, that makes perfect sense. That was, you know, my our love. And, you know, hey, I have this necklace or bracelet. Look at this. It's all full of dolphins. And so it makes sense to that person, but it might not make sense to you, right? As you're, you're thinking you're crazy saying these things because it doesn't make any sense to you. So, but it's not about making sense. It's about just saying what you're seeing or saying what you're hearing because it makes sense to the, to the person who's receiving the message. It's something important for that person. Can you turn it on and off? Like, are you like in the shower and all of a sudden someone shows up? You're like, guys, come on. I need a little privacy here. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you turn it off? Or do you like, yeah. like you put a close sign up on the door and then yeah. you're like, okay, now I'm open. Everyone stand in line. How is yeah. that kind of? I mean, it, it kind of is like that because I mean, when it when my channels really started opening up, it was hard to control. Uh, but now it doesn't happen because I'm just I'm, I'm not open for business. I they know when I'm open for business, and you know if I'm gonna if I'm doing a reading, uh, you know, in two days, then maybe the night before when I go to sleep, I'll have somebody approach me and I'll say, "Do you belong to the person I'm doing a reading for tomorrow?" And I'll get a yes, and sure enough, the next day it'll be, you know, the father or the mother or the sister, or whoever it is. So that often happens that they sort of come in and they the want to make room. sure you're going to wait gonna... the waiting room. I'm early. Right. I'm early. Yes. I know it's a day or two from now. I'm just early. Right. I got nothing else to do on the other side. I'm just going to hang out if that's okay. Just want to make sure I'm here for you when the guy <laughs> yes. it's, you know, it, I, yeah. you know, I joke about this stuff because it mm -hmm. is, I mean, it's funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it is. It I is. mean, it, it is funny. Mm -hmm. And as we talk about it out loud, it, like we said before, it sounds insane, but yeah. the more and more you talk about it, you know, I've talked to so many different mediums now, mm -hmm. uh, and clairvoyance and psychics and channels that I, you know, my own experience is trying to see where the common elements are. So yeah. your left side is something I've heard before that other oh, mediums yeah. do. They're like, mm -hmm. no, my, I come on, it has to, they have to come on this side for mm -hmm. me to hear them. And that happens with channels as well. Like the channels like. Mm -hmm. It comes in on this side, doesn't come in on this side, comes in on this side. So I, I look for common mm -hmm. elements that are like reinforces mm -hmm. what you got, you know, what you guys are going through. It's, yeah. it's for me, I'm a filmmaker by trade. Mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by this. 
all yeah. of it. And I'd love to explore it. I'd love to go into it. And I want to share this information with as many people as possible because your journey that you just explained, hopefully someone listening to this is going to go, oh, I'm not crazy. Absolutely. I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is exactly what happened. Because mm -hmm. I'm sure so many analytical, I've had an atheist on before. Uh, yeah, I, who yeah. and they're they're the they're the best because yeah. Yeah. they have no you know just because Jesus and I always tell I I I always I say this all the time I go Jesus is busy. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. He yeah. is on everybody's near death experience. Yeah, <laughs> so he just shows up all yeah. the time. He's a very busy guy, like constantly. Yeah. But um, I just had someone on, I just interviewed, it hasn't been released yet, uh, that covered near-death experiences throughout cultures, throughout oh, the world. It was fascinating mm -hmm. to talk to someone. I'm like, well, what mm -hmm. is an African tribesman? Yeah. Go yeah. And they're like, oh, well, instead of the black tunnel, like you went through, which is mm -hmm. common, mm -hmm. uh, the they go through a hole in a, in a tree because that makes sense yeah. to them. And it's similar, yes. but different. Mm -hmm. Or they're mm -hmm. walking a path instead mm -hmm. of going through a dark tunnel of light. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Things like that. It's just fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. Because yeah. and that was the other thing that they found was on an analytical standpoint, mm -hmm. if it is something that the mind does, mm -hmm. why isn't it the exact same thing for every single person who dies? Mm -hmm. Right? Everyone yeah. has so many different near-death experiences. Mm -hmm. If it was something that clicked off in your head, it should arguably be the same Similar. thing. Yeah. Exactly. It should. Yeah. It, I mean, if you break your bone and I break my bone, yeah. the, the, the bones are broken. I'm not going to break yeah. my bone right. in a magical way that, you right. know, gravy is going to pop out of my yeah. bones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it is a very individual experience. Everybody has a different story. Everybody sees something different. Exactly. It's, it's I haven't met anybody who saw the log cabins yet, but maybe somebody that was else. That was the first one too. That was, and, and what yeah. did, did you ever find out? Did you ever ask what that, that meant? You know, I, my own interpretation is we see things that are familiar to us. Comfort, and so yeah. I grew up in Sweden. So a little log cabin looks like a sauna. Got So that was, that was custom. And that's the other thing I hear. It's custom tailored to your mm -hmm. experience to make you feel more comfortable. So if you yeah. are a Buddhist, Buddha is going to show up. If you're yeah. Muslim, Muhammad will show up. Mm -hmm. If you, or if you're Japanese, another, you know, I think mm -hmm. in ancient, in ancient China, it was, you know, politicians would show up dead politics because it was all very political back yeah. in the ancient Chinese times mm -hmm. so that they would show up. It, it's just fascinating. This is fascinating stuff. Yeah, um, it is super fascinating. It really is. It really is. So I'm going to ask yeah. you a few questions. I ask all of my guests. Um, what is your definition of living a good life? Living a good life is being true to yourself the passion, uh, finding that, finding that within yourself, in your, I, I always say it's, it's in your heart, finding what is your true passion in your heart and living that, following that thread. And, um, it, you know, money doesn't matter. Most things don't matter. It's all about being true to yourself. What is your definition of God? God is, um, is divine source. It is, um, we are created or come from return to it's the unconditional love. Um, I don't like to get into, you know, I don't believe in any religion because all religions 
Right. God, source, universe. <laughs> God, yeah, right? a lot of, yeah, I get you. Yeah, they're not inclusive. God, for God lack is, of a better term. Yeah, yeah. So it is, a, I would say, divine source. It's my best definition. And what is the ultimate purpose of life? To have an experience. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. Um, I do believe we reincarnate and we bring that uh, experiences with us from previous lives into the current life. And so it's a, it's a, it's a continuous soul growth. You know, sure. do we, do we incarnate to have all these things happen to us? I, I do think so. Cause sometimes if you look at your numerology chart, if you look at your astrology chart, there is a lot of information in there about what the major uh, things you are going to experience in this life, right? That information is already there. So there's obviously a bigger divine um, kind of a plan. A, a plan or guide for, for your you know experience on earth that you are to maybe meet certain people, marry certain people or having certain experiences. And maybe there are five ways you can have this experience and you chose path number three right? But you're going to have some kind of experience that is then going to lead to your soul growth or learning and, and evolving. And where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing? Uh, go to drlotte.com, D-R-L-O-T-T-E.com. And that uh, has my physician information on it. And if you want to work with me spiritually, you just click on work with Dr. Lottie spiritually, and you'll see the whole menu pop up. And I work as a medical medium, medical intuitive, because I am a physician. So I get a lot of information about people just many times when they show up on the screen, I already know what's wrong with them. Um, so I work a lot as a medical intuitive. And I, typically I get people who um, they've, they've been sick for many years and there's nothing wrong with them. They did the MRIs, ultrasound, all the labs. Nobody can find anything wrong. And that then leads to other ways to look at issues. Uh, some of it can be ancestral healing. So I work with ancestral healing um, as well. And I work with uh, HemiSync, if you're familiar with HemiSync. Mm -hmm. HemiSync. And I developed uh, my first one, which was released last July, which is called Healing Your Ancestral Mother Wound. Because we have a lot of, um, even if you had the best mother, I often work with people who say, oh, I had the best mom in the world. It was like, leave it to beaver. And we still have a mother wound because- this just happens. I think almost all of us have some form of mother wound because if we didn't, what was the point of having that incarnation? There's some lesson to be learned there, but many times it could be, uh, I'm, I'm not in a good relationship or I have problems stepping into myself or I have this disease or it doesn't matter really what it is. And many times uh, it comes from ancestral uh, trauma or issues that were unresolved, but it can also be a mother wound. So it, you kind of have to look at it different ways. So um, that is available on HemiSync, but I also work one-to-one uh, -one with people to help them find um, like find healing to all these different kinds of issues. So mm -hmm. any, um, any, um, any trauma that was unresolved with your ancestors, you know, any, anything that wasn't resolved and anytime you were a child and said, you know, why isn't, why don't we talk about uncle Billy? Shh. We don't talk about Uncle Billy, right? <laughs> that that's something. Somebody's carrying that now. Okay, it's whatever like in, Uncle Billy did, it's like Encanto. Got that one. It's like in Disney's show, the Disney movie Encanto. 
We don't talk about, well, God, I forgot. It's a, it, I, I have kids. This is why I, I really, yeah. there's a whole song about, we don't talk about what's his name. I forgot his name. But yes. That's what the first thing that came yeah. to my mind. And that, that's what's, you know, it's all the unresolved trauma from past generations that gets sure. passed down. And there is actually research on that now, but it gets passed down via DNA. So I work as a medical yeah. medium. I work, I do mediumship readings, psychic readings. I work with ancestral healing. Uh, I do uh, soul uh, messages from soul um, from your spirit guides and mm -hmm. I will actually draw their spirit as I see them. And it's, it's also fascinating because many times it'll be like spot on they exactly what it's exactly what they need to hear. They were thinking of changing career or something. And right, right, right. right it's right there. Um, and some other things. So, you know, they can just go to the website. The website has everything. Yep. And do you have any parting messages for the audience? I would say that never forget that we are all connected. We are all one and it is all divine. And so are you. Dr. Lottie, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. It's been so much fun. And I appreciate you having such a good sense of humor about the insanity that your life has gone through. <laughs> it has been a hell of an adventure and it's just beginning for you. So I appreciate you, my dear. Thank you again. Yeah, thank you so much. I want to thank Dr. Lottie for coming on the show and sharing her story with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, please head to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 167. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.